Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Thirty-three in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you today and for the rest of the next couple weeks here. Bob is off. So is Mark Spector. His regular Tuesday appearances are brought to you by the horses. Horse Racing Alberta. The 7,000 men and women that work in Alberta's horse racing industry. Once again, a reminder that the 90th running of the Canadian Derby is taking place Sunday, August 18th at the Century Mile Racetrack and Casino. Pleased to be joined in studio by the host of Inside Sports it is Mr. Reed Wilkins. Wilkie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brendan. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and your quirky and sometimes out-of-the-box thoughts are always welcome uh, when I host this show. We're talking third-line centers for the Oilers, and uh, there's been quite a bit of input on the text line here. It's split. There's a lot of people thinking Gagne might be the guy. There's a lot of people saying that Gaetan Haas was brought in for that, and therefore he's going to be the guy. What are your thoughts? I think, well, first of all, I, I don't think Gagne will be the guy. I think he'll play wing. I would be... Ex- okay, here's the thing with Gaetan Haas. I just, beyond the odd little video and reading about him, I, I can't tell you what this guy is going to do with the NHL. Like, knee guard's a slightly different story because he's very fast. I don't know if knee guard's going to finish a lot of plays. I, I, I think he might struggle at the NHL to actually score. But I, I think he'll be able to skate. Haas is, is a complete wild card to me. If he winds up as the third-line center and can actually do the job, that's a pretty big pretty big win for the Oilers. But to be a really good team, your third-line center has to be pretty productive offensively. He can't just be a checker and a face-off guy if you're going to be an elite team. Now, the Oilers are, are a ways away from being a, an elite team, obviously. I, I think they could pot- potentially be a good team if some things fall into place mm-hmm. and they get goaltending and better special teams and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I That position is, is wide open to me. I, I think it's the biggest, probably the biggest question mark up front, and I, and I realize there are, are still some question marks about significant positions you know can, can Cassian play on the top line again can he be productive can Chase on potentially play with Neil and Nugent Hopkins and 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 wind up with a decent goal total like he did last year but that you know the third line center still has to play a lot and and what did we see what we saw last year was there was very little push when the top line. Well, I mean, last year they were virtually a one-line team. As great a season as Nugent Hopkins mm-hmm. had, and, and I think as respected he is and popular he is with most of the fans, he was often the only dangerous forward on the ice with his line when he wasn't with Nugent Hopkins or, or sorry, when he wasn't with McDavid or Dreisaitl. So, so sometimes, you know, his line would have had a good game. So now there's a little more faith in the second line with at least Neil there. So maybe you could build two lines of forechecking 
Well, what happens when the third line is on the ice? If, if it's another situation like last year where you're giving away shifts and not only are you not getting chances, you're not even getting getting zone time, then that's going to be another hole in the lineup. I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've told this story before. I, I, I said to someone, you know, pretty, pretty close to the Oilers uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, I said, you know, some, t- some nights late last season, it looked like you guys were dressing seven fourth-line forwards. And the person looked at me and said, "That's bull. We were dressing eight, right? So that's wow. like that's that's kind of that's kind of <laughs> where they were at. Like yeah. they they had a bunch of guys who could play a fourth line role, but we're we're playing higher in the lineup, and that's what worries me about the third line center. You might you might have somebody there who is an NHLer, but he's not a third line center NHLer. So I don't know. I mean, could could Grandland wind up there? I mean, he has he has played center. Doesn't have a great great faceoff percentage. But uh, what worries me about that position is it could be something somebody earns by default. Right? I mean, it, Cave is still around. You know, maybe he'll take a step forward and they'll trust him. I think Brodziak is, you know, more suited to the fourth line. Right, if, if he ends up playing at all. I understand that he was right. he's experiencing some yeah. injuries towards the, le- the end of last season. Um, well, I, I'm going to counter that by saying, do you not think the fact that this role is wide open might be a bit of a spark? It might be that fire under the backside of any one of these guys. I've always believed as a sports fan that healthy competition for a roster spot is kind of what breeds or brings out the best in some players. So, uh, I, well, I, I agree, I agree uh, there, that there's the opportunity there, and that can help. That, that can help with motivation or somebody actually saying, okay, it's there for the taking. I'm going to be the one to take it. I mean, we saw Chase on do that last year. The year they made the playoffs, we saw Letestu do that with the role on the power play, where mm-hmm. he said, okay, fine, if no one's going to one-time the puck, I'll do it and see what happens, even though I don't have the best shot on the team. But I'll, I'll, I'll counter that by saying that's we, we're not looking for somebody who's excited to have that position for 10 games of the season. Right. And then the league ramps up. Who on the Oilers can actually be a productive fairly all-round third-line center for 82 games in, in, in their current incarnation, or even if or even if they take a bit of a step forward, right? To me, that's the thing. Somebody might be able to do it in October and November when you're getting into February and March, and, and hopefully they're trying to grind out points to, to, to get in the playoffs. Is somebody going to be as stout as what other teams are going to have in terms of that role? I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a very important position because the, the the really good teams, like let's face it, the the really good teams usually have seven really good forwards, right? Like two two good lines, mm-hmm. and then a good third line center, and then maybe the other five are kind of interchangeable. Nobody's a star, but nobody's a, a big weakness, right? So I I don't know who 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 grabs that role, and it's really a stretch for me to say it's going to be Gaetan Haas that he's he's years in Europe playing in Switzerland. Okay, a good European league, but not even the best. And then all of a sudden he's in the best league in the world, and you're hoping that he's your seventh best forward. That's that's pretty tough to to, to expect that. If if he does it, great. But it, I mean, I like I I feel that's that's putting too much on him to come over here and jump in and do that. I think a sarcastic texter has just reached out to the show at a Drayton Valley saying, "How about Ty Ratty for third line center?" Well, <laughs> uh, he's going to have to get on a plane back from Russia if that's the case. Yeah, just to compliment your point there, Reed. I mean, Haas is relatively unproven, but even in 
Switzerland, he was a sub 500 faceoff guy. So I, I don't know. And obviously, you need a lot more out of your third line center. But what, what are you really expecting here in terms of point production? Do you want to see 10 to 15 goals? Is that realistic for any of these guys? If I look, if I go down the list, Reed, I think Jujar Kara is probably the most likely to come out and score between 10 and 15 goals because we've seen him do like it. Like on before. the bottom two lines? In terms of your third line center production. Because I think the wingers, we know basically what the shell. Right, but we're thinking Kara is like. more likely going to be a winger. Or do you think do you think Dave could... Tippett came on our show a couple weeks ago and alluded to the fact that he might be in the mix? Yeah, for... fair enough. Well, I so think, but that's, that's the thing. The I think every almost everybody who's ever played center, even a little bit, a little bit, is in the mix because it is it is yeah. so wide open. So I mean, maybe, and I mean, Kara has played down the middle before. He's been more on the wing in the NHL. But in terms of, I mean, Kara, what did he go from eleven goals down to three? I, I think I, I think a depth player, regardless of position, who's most likely to get 10 to 15 is probably Archibald off the bottom two lines. Mm-hmm. Just because I think he's a tenacious player with a little bit of quickness. You know, he got to 12 last year in Arizona. They had that spread. What did they have, 11 guys get 10 or more? They had the really spread around offense. I, I You know, I think he's probably the safest bet out of the guys, you know, currently. Well, I mean, maybe Gagne. I mean, if what did he have, 10 points in 25 games with the Oilers last season? That's right, yep. Okay, so that's a 30 to 35-point season, so you probably got 10 to 15 goals in there. Yes, Apoyarvi, let's just briefly touch on this. There's not really much new, but based on what Ken Holland said uh, in an interview with TSN, it sounds like... It, it, He's not going to go out and sign a third-line center, so now I'm looking at this and thinking, I wonder if that's going to be the return if he ends up trading Pugliarvi away. What do you think of that? Or just give me your thoughts on this situation as a whole as the narrative continues to unfold. Well, it's just, it's really strange to me. And yeah, this has been a topic we've been in and out of all summer long. It's really strange to me because if there was ever a time for a player and his agent to take a deep breath and say okay, this is as close to a fresh start as we're going to get. Let's take advantage of it. New GM, new coach. I mean, you had two coaches who tried to work with Pugliarvi, including one who said, bring him up from the minors. I'm going to make him an NHLer. He wanted him. And, then a, month, and then a month later, I mean, I, I got the stats. I, I think on average, Hitch actually used Pugliarvi less than Todd. If it wasn't on average, it was a bunch of so. And I mean, and I mean, Todd used to get blasted for the way he used Pulleyarvi. So two pretty experienced coaches saw the same deficiencies with the player and weren't comfortable putting him out there. And then, despite a new coach and new GM, you still have the agent and the player insisting, "I will not play for the Edmonton Oilers." Like there's some there's something else going on. They wouldn't even play there, for the Bakersfield Condors. There, there, there's something else going on. Whether Pulleyarvi just you know didn't fit in or just didn't feel like he could ever earn people's trust here there there is something else i mean look i I, i'm always hesitant to talk about things going on in the dressing room Mm -hmm. because i'm not there you know how pro hockey players act when it's just them that's you know every team is going to be a little different but was something going on where you know he he didn't have the trust of his teammates or or they just didn't see him as someone they could rely on, or or he just wasn't able to to fit in. Some something strange has happened here, for 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 the Pulleyover camp to just insist. No, we are like they're basically like they're saying, 
never doesn't always mean never, but right now they're saying I will never play for the Edmonton Oilers under any circumstances. So if I got to go play in Finland till my rights are traded, that's what they're doing. It's very strange. That might be the best thing for his value, too, if you think about it. If he can go over to Finland where he's more comfortable with the language, more comfortable with the surroundings, and he resurrects some of his offensive skill, maybe that buys Holland a little bit more bargaining room with some other team. Uh, I don't want to beat this to death, as I feel like we've done for most of this show, but I I want to get your thoughts on the Eskimos, who dropped the first installment of the Battle of Alberta to Calgary over the weekend. Um, They're almost unbeatable at home. The last time we saw them play... They shut out, albeit a struggling Toronto Argonauts team. Yeah, shutout's a shutout. Yeah, shutout's a shutout, exactly. Uh, the defense looks absolutely dominant, and then uh, you're you're playing a Nick Arbuckle-led Calgary Stampeders team, and you can't get the job done on the road. Ten and two at home since the start of last season. Three and ten on the road. That's a pretty dramatic split. Something's and, and it's funny to me because it's it's different players and it's a lot of different coaches. And they continue to find ways to fail on the road, and it's not you know what some sometimes you get sometimes you get beat up sometimes it's a it's a back and forth game and, and you don't make the one play at the end I, I get it that's going to happen, but a lot of these losses on the road we've been talking about are games where the Eskimos were you know one to three plays away from winning. Last year the script was off and they had a lead and couldn't put it away in the second half. And, Brendan, there were games they didn't score in the second half last year or barely scored, but could have won the game with just even another first down or two and taking more time off the clock. And now this year, they're they're falling behind. I mean, you fall behind in Montreal, you fall behind in Winnipeg, fall behind in Calgary, and you're, you're getting back in it or you're just back in it. I mean, what happened on the weekend? They tie at 9-9. Mm-hmm. Next play is a kick return touchdown for Calgary. Later on, they're about to get the ball in good field position. Jackson fumbles, and then to make it even worse, gets hurt on the play, and it looks like he's going to be out for a while. Right. And then uh, you know some 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 key penalties. So they're, they're they're it's it's just a couple of plays, but it's a couple of bad plays at the wrong time, and a lot of them are are self inflicted wounds with with a penalty or with a fumble or or, or not. I mean, the special teams were not good Saturday. Sean White doesn't miss a lot, missed a convert and missed an extra point, and then you factor in the the kick return touchdown, if the Eskimos win those plays, they're the team up three points with two minutes left, right? As opposed to being the the team down three points, and and they're driving to kill the clock and don't have to go for it on third down and all that kind of stuff. So I I still think they're a pretty good team. Um, I I do think it's going to be really close in in the West. The top, I mean, Saskatchewan's worked their way up there now. They're a little better than I thought they would be. Uh, the Eskimos' defense should keep them in any games, and quite frankly, the Eskimos' defense should pound the snot out of the weaker teams in the league, as we've seen them do. Oh yeah. So I, I, I you know, I, I have, you know, faith saying the Eskimos should beat the teams beneath them most of the time, but can they make these one, two, or three extra plays a game to beat Winnipeg, to beat Calgary, maybe to beat Hamilton when they play them? I know Hamilton's different now with Mazzoli gone, but. There's a lot of things I like about that team. There's a lot of things I like about the team. We'll see what happens with the beard injury because he's been pretty good on the old line. But it, it's been it's been frustrating to watch, and it's frustrating to see the offense kind of take the the breaks that they do in games and not be able to get points. Jason Moss, the head coach of the team, is has been scrutinized, but scrutinized for just glaring play calls. And I'm wondering beyond that, how much 
of of the lack of success, let's say, over the last couple of years, as they're now sitting fourth in the CFL Western Division with a four and three record. How much of this is on him, and how much of this is on the players? Well, okay. Here's the thing. I when when you talk about play calling, and and Blake Dermott has taught me this, that the result of the play doesn't always reflect the play that was called, right? And it, it could have been a brilliant play call that wasn't executed properly, or it could have been a boneheaded play call where you luck out and got a big gain out of it because the other team made a mistake. The one thing that you know on offense for sure is that it's either a run or a pass. I think last year they didn't run the ball a lot. Clearly, most of the games this year, I think except for Montreal, they've, they've had a pretty good split. The, I, if I were to be a little bit critical of the play calling, I I would say in this area, and there was a play uh, that Calgary ran against Edmonton on Saturday, and it was, you know, the, the slot back goes like he's going, doing his waggle, and then he cuts toward the backfield right before the ball is snapped, and Arbuckle hands it to him on whatever you want to call it, fly sweep, end around, and it probably got five or six yards. It wasn't a game-breaking play. But even a little call like that makes the defense think, oh, they might do that. Right. We, we can't be caught on that. Mm-hmm. And the Eskimos don't, I don't think they do enough of just those little misdirection plays, even if they're only called one or two times. I know the short passes frustrate a lot of people, and me too sometimes when they throw the straight sideways pass to a receiver that doesn't have any blocking. I mean, that's... That's a little frustrating. I, I think when you've seen the short passes on second and 10, I don't think that's the play call. I think that's Harris checking down. So the receivers probably aren't over because no coach is going to call a play on second <laughs> and 10 where it's all five-yard curls. Right. I mean, and we we see games in person. Mm-hmm. There are guys down the field. Either Harris isn't seeing them or he, doesn't, or he thinks they're covered. So that's why he checks down, and then he's hoping to get yards after the catch. But I'd like to see, and I'm not talking about crazy trick plays, but, you know, Winnipeg's good at that. You know, there's a receiver cutting through the backfield. Oh, is, is it is this going to be the time he gets it on the end around, or mm-hmm. is it going to Andrew Harris? Well, 95% of the time it's going to Andrew Harris, but the one time it might go to the receiver, the defense has to be a guy ready for that. So, I, so I'd like to maybe just see a, a little bit more of that, you know, or, or another screen or two mixed in per game. If I were, if I were going to quibble about the play calling, that's what I... But you got to remember, when there's a passing play called, Harris has five options. So, you know, he, the guy that the Paul is supposed to do, go to, if he's covered or double covered, that's not on, you know, the play calling that the guy is double covered. That's a defense doing a good job. The quarterback has to find somebody else or the receiver's got to do a better job getting open. You're hosting Inside Sports from 6 to 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, anything confirmed yet? Well, Blake's going to come on tonight to talk about the Eskimos and, of course, his former coach, Jim Donlevy, passed away. So uh, he'll have some memories. We'll have a little bit on the Edmonton Prospects. They had to sweep that seven-game homestand in five days mm-hmm. over the weekend to make the playoffs. They did. They did They're it. going to the playoffs yet again. And uh, Jason Moss and Morley Scott at 730. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Reed. 152 in Edmonton. We'll press pause, come back with this day in Oilers history when we return. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. Reminder, the Eskimos are hosting the Ottawa Red Blacks. 
It's Friday. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff, by the way. It's uh, the doubleheader, I guess, on CFL and TSN there. So we are late start time, but that is live on 6.30, Ched. 6 o'clock is the countdown to kickoff, and then the game gets going at 8. Morley Scott, Dave Campbell, and myself down on the sidelines. Royal Pizza is celebrating 50 years in Edmonton, and they're still making it great. On now, through October, Royal Pizza is offering the Combo Special. Your choice of Greek or Caesar salad with garlic toast, two medium gourmet pizzas, and four anniversary cookies, all for 50 bucks. You can pick that one up at any one of their 14 Edmonton locations. Let's go to this day in Oilers history, shall we? And this, man, it's not much. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Not much has happened in this day in Oilers history. But back in 1998, the Oilers re-signed then 25-year-old Todd Marchant to a two-year contract extension. He had 35 points over 71 games, excuse me, in the previous season. Was one of the game's best penalty killers at the time with his blazing speed. He ended up playing five more seasons in Edmonton before signing in Columbus as an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 2003. You probably know him best for this back in 1997. There you have it. One of the more notorious uh, moments in Oilers history and what is obviously a storied history uh, 1997 Game 7 overtime winner by Todd Marchand. Tonight on Inside Sports, it is the Eskimos Coaches Show. Jason Moss, Morley Scott. They will also have Edmonton Prospects catcher Jake Jerry. Talking about... Uh, is that all ridiculous to you? They had to go... They had to run the gamut. Seven. Seven consecutive victories. They did it. Three came in one day. So a shout out to them. The Edmonton Stingers, the basketball team here in town, also uh, giving you your sports fix for the summer. They have qualified for the playoffs. Tomorrow, our Legends of the Game series continues with none other than the great one himself, Wayne Gretzky. That starts at 12.30. We'll run the rest of the show. I do want to remind you once again, our friends at Horse Racing Alberta bring to you each Tuesday, except for this one, Mark Spector. It's brought to you by the Horses, Horse Racing Alberta, reminding you the new Century Mile Racetrack and Casino is open in Nisku. Brendan Escott, I'm with you tomorrow. I'm with you the rest of the next two weeks. Up next, we've got a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.